We, are, we started a series last week, and there, and there were a lot of folks out last week. Last week was Memorial Day, and plus, I don't even know what a tr- subtropical storm is, but that hit us last week too, right? So a lot of people were, uh, were out last week. But if you missed last week, and you, and you kind of plan on being a part of this kind of verse-by-verse look through Romans, although it's going to be different than just a verse-by-verse, we're going to kind of look at a bigger picture, so we're going to move pretty fast through it. But if you weren't able to be here last week, it's a big, it's very important. Uh, if, you, if you'd like to keep checking, because I shared a whole lot last week. And uh, because Romans is, I want you to understand that Romans is one of those books that is foundational, okay? If you're not a believer today, and, um, or maybe you don't even know, right? Uh, foundationally, the book of Romans was written to explain to you what it is. Not what everybody else says, the gospel of Christ is, but what it is. And that's where we get into trouble, right? That's where it messes up. I'm convinced that, that most of what people hear and know about Christ and being a Christian today is, is, is faulty information. It doesn't come from the scriptures. It just comes from everybody else's thoughts, right? But that's the cool part. I mean, as I shared with you before, if it was the only book of the Bible I could have, it would be Romans. Romans would be the book I'd want because it is so clear and shares with us so clear on who Christ is and what he came to do. Now, last week we, we started. Today is a chapter four of Romans is, an in, is the whole chapter is an illustration of what he just had said in the first three chapters. So I need to give you a little bit from what we talked about last week, not near all, but I need to give you a clear picture so you can understand what the illustration's about and why the illustration's so important, right? Now, if you were to take a look in in Romans chapter one, you would see uh, the first part of it is just just introductory, you know, tell so-and-so I said hello, good to see everybody, whatever, good talking to everybody, whatever. And it gets down to verse, you know, know, verse 16, verse 17. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed. This is what Paul said. I am not ashamed, the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile. Now, what's a Gentile? A Gentile is everybody who's not Jewish, right? right? Even if you didn't know that. Even if you didn't know you were a Gentile, okay? If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile in that, in that vernacular. Now, understand this thought, right? It's the power of God. It is what empowers him to make this difference in our life. You'll see it today. It's an incredible thing. But even if you don't, even if you don't believe it, at least you will know what the scripture says, all right? What, what salvation is, who Christ is and what he came to do. The gospel can be simply put who Christ is and what he came to do. And because of who he was, he was able to do what he came to do. So when you put those two together, you see something really powerful. So let's understand why. So last week, the, the latter part, Okay, now this is interesting, so just hang with me. The latter part of chapter one talks about, just talks about sin, right? Just sheer sin. Just basically those who live whoever they want. And that might be, this may be you today, but you live kind of how you want to, don't really care about anybody else, anything else, whatever, all right? Don't really care what they think. And so you have this kind of picture of chapter one of, of sin and, and, and those who, who live that way in sin. But in reality, we found out last week that all of us are sinners, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Just hang, in with, just hang with me. So it's pretty tough, pretty tough words, 
uh, in chapter one. But I find this incredible that chapter two, chapter two is written for the self-righteous. We we saw this last week and it was an incredible thing for us to all look at. This chapter two is, is is that those who see themselves as being right with God, right? Because of they live a good life. That entire chapter is that way. And I want you to understand that the self-righteous, and in this particular case, I want you to understand what it meant when Paul wrote it. And then, and then we'll apply it to what it means for us today. But that's, that's real important for you to understand why Paul was writing this. Well, what was happening at the time? You'll see it when I begin to read some of the verses is that you had the Jewish folks uh, at the time, comparatively, they lived extremely moral lives because it was fairly pagan. And at the time of Jesus with the Romans and others, it almost, it almost bordered, a lot of times it did, it was bordered on you know, barbaric almost and, and just sheer violence and sheer other things. So in reality, there was a, there was a dichotomy. There was a real difference between th- those who were truly Jewish and then those who were not. And so, and so there's this picture in chapter one, it talks about all of those kind of who've been living that way. But then in chapter two, it talks about all of those who live fairly morally. But remember this, Jesus was real careful to talk to the Pharisees who were the ultra-religious and who, who outwardly lived extremely moral lives. But I want you to understand that Jesus said that, yeah, you look good on the outside, but inside, okay, that's what counts. And so the whole of chapter two, it, it's, it's, basically, it's basically an indictment on, 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 on self-righteousness. That is, you think, uh, this, the per, this person thinks that they're right with God because they've, compared to everybody else, they've lived a pretty, you know, decent moral life. And that is the way I would say the majority of our culture thinks. That could be the way that a whole lot of you in here think, right? Well, you know, when I take a look around, you know, I live, I live pretty, pretty, pretty clean, whatever, whatever, whatever said. But remember this, this is the powerful part of it, right? is that nobody, nobody is right with God because of the way they live. That's what the book of Romans starts out talking about. That's what led us to chapter three. And we, I just wanna go over some of these verses in chapter three and, and just and hook into them because I want, I want you to understand. More than anything, I just want you to understand because so many times the message of Christ gets lost in, in Pete and repeat of it. But what you're gonna to hear today is you know, straight from Paul's mouth about what the gospel is and why it had to be that way. Think about it. If anyone who ever lived could be right with God because they lived a good life, then why did Jesus, why did Jesus come? Why did he die? There would be no reason for the cross if you could be right with God by, in, by, by the way you lived, right? Good. So let's take a look. Let's look at, let's, this is still recap, just still 
understand last week, because the illustration I want to share with you in a minute is not going to make a lot of sense unless you understand what the illustration is about. So chapter 3, verse 9, this is just a look back at a little bit of what we talked about last week. So then Paul asks a question, what then? Are we Jews any better off? And he says, no, not at all. So what's he talking about that? Well, I just told you, right? So in other words, what Paul is saying here, so does it, does it just simply mean that just being Jewish, does, does, that, does that mean anything? Because see, a lot of people, when you understand at the, time, the times you have to understand, is that, is that God had made a lot of promises to Abraham. By the way, Abraham's our illustration this morning. We'll get to it in a minute. And, and what had happened was a lot of Jewish people at the time thought that, that simply being Jewish made you right with God. Right? That's what they thought. Therefore, we're descendants of Abraham. We're God's people. Therefore, it doesn't matter who we are, what we are, we're right with God because we're simply, we're Jewish. So the, obviously, Paul blows that one out of the water when he says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? He says, no, not at all. Why? Because we've already told you, we've already showed you that all, both Jews and Gentiles, that is Greeks, are all under sin. So, so just simply being Jewish does not make a person right with God any more than simply being not Jewish makes a person right with God. Does that make sense? So for the time, that was life changing. This name may not seem huge, but this was, these were bold statements at the times. Because at the time when Jesus lived, I mean, some of the Pharisees, you know, would say, well, we're Abraham's descendants, right? That was said all the time. And then Jesus was like, so? I mean, that's my interpretation of what he said. He was like, well, you know, God can write, he can, he can you know, he can make a descendant of Abraham anything he wants. This is a physical descendant of Abraham. What are you talking about? And Paul talks more about it in just a minute. All right. As it is written, he says, there's none righteous, not even one. So nobody is right with God because of the way they've lived. And Paul talks about it. And guys, this is huge for us to understand. For there's none righteous, no, not one, right? No one understands, no one seeks after God, all right? Skip down to verse 21. And here's some of the, I just need you, I need you to hear this piece. It's a little bit of recap from last week, but I need you to hear this because the entire illustration we're gonna talk about hinges on just understanding these next few verses, all right? But now, the righteousness of God, don't get lost in the phraseology and what does that mean? What is the righteousness of God is? That is the standard. That is what it means to be right with God. Therefore, the righteousness of God has been manifested. What's the word manifested? It means it's been revealed. That is something that was hidden. I mean, it's had, you know, it's had the, you know, it's, it's like a statue. It's had, the, it's had the sheet pulled off of it. And now everybody sees it, right? So therefore, being right with God has been revealed, okay? It says here, apart from the law, so a way to be right with God, all right, that's apart from following all of the lists of things to do and not to do. Okay, so what, Jeff, what does that mean? Well, I want you to think about this for a second, all right? Usually when someone is right is because they followed the rules, right? Now, here's what he said. This is interesting, all right? Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, all right? We talked about that last week. It says, but the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That is what's been revealed, he said. Now, 
So we have this being right with God through faith in Christ for, for all who believe. Now that's a huge statement for his time. Because think of this, our Jewish folks are thinking, no, 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 not, not all these Gentiles. Now they can become Jewish, right? Right? They can, uh, they can convert and become Jewish and do that, but, but not as they are now. So Paul is writing something, the book of Romans, to stand the test of time and to be meaningful to every culture. And here we are 2,000 years later, and it's still just as relevant for you and I to understand today. It's an amazing thing to think about. So, so this righteous, that is this righteousness of God, that is being right with God, comes through faith in, in the gospel. That is who Christ is and what he came to do. Listen to this, listen to this. For all who believe. And I go back to my illustration about all. I looked it up in the dictionary. And it's what you think it would be. It means all. It means every one of you. So therefore, the gospel is not just for those who are Jewish. It's for those who, it's for all of us. Right? And he goes on to say, for there is no distinction. Interesting. That is, God doesn't play any, play any favorites there. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, right? Now listen to this. And are justified. Hang with me just a couple of seconds here, and then you're going to really see this illustration come to life. What's the word justify mean? It means to make something wrong and make it right. We use it, as I shared with you last week, we use it in a negative way. When you say somebody's trying to justify themselves, what you're saying is they're wrong and they're trying to make their situation right, right? We usually joke, oh, he's just trying to justify himself, right? But that's what that means. But so this is in reality. We are, <coughs> we are wrong, but we are made right by grace. What's the word grace mean? The word grace means a gift, right? Something you don't deserve. So we're made right with God by the grace as a gift. Listen to me. I would say at least half, I, to be honest, I think well over half of Christian denominations today don't follow this because they always include a system of works that you have to jump through in order to be right with God. And I want you to know that the book of Romans says it is entirely grace. It has nothing to do with good works. But I can't tell you how many people or how many denominations that call themselves Christians. I don't know how you get around what Paul said. They call themselves Christian denominations and yet they either believe all or part. Very few believe that, that, that you don't need grace at all, but they think you need grace, what Christ did at the cross plus works. All right, but you're gonna find out in just a minute that, that the scriptures totally say that's not, that's not it. Take a look at this, all right? All right, so then he goes on. It's, it's basically as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ. Look at this. Therefore, where's the boasting? That makes sense, right? If it's a free gift, therefore, therefore, if you're right with God today, you put your faith and trust in him, then understand it was a total gift and had nothing to do with who you are or how good you think you might be or how bad you were, right? 
So then where's the boasting? I tell you, those who truly are believers, those who have truly come and put their faith and trust in Christ, let me tell you something that should happen. You should, you should ooze thankfulness out of your pores. There is no room for cockiness or arrogance or superiority. Where does that come from? Because where would you be without Christ? And so you feel superior because of a gift that you received as opposed to anything of who you are. I find it amazing. In fact, there should be no such thing. Sometimes we get our eyes off it, but I get that. Sometimes we get ungrateful, 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 because because we get our eyes on other things and see what other people might have or whatever, we get ungrateful. But in reality, when you take a look at it and have a clear perspective, thankfulness is just, it just ought to be who you are, right? So therefore, where's the boasting? You know, I don't see it much here, to be honest. Um, there's some. Most of us are just ch chapter one people, you know? We're just sinners. I run into very few. I'm not saying there's not any because they're always with us. But I've, I've run into here, here in Florida, very few what I call chapter two sinners. That is the self-righteous that think they're better than everybody else. But let me tell you what, when I grew up, guys, I was not a believer until I was 21. So I grew up in a church where you wouldn't believe the judgmental attitude that some of the people in the church had. In fact, they didn't even want some people in church because they were deemed terrible sinners. And that's an oxymoron, by the way, right? With the emphasis on moron. And, but, but to sit on a high horse and somehow think you're superior when who you are in Christ was given to you as a gift doesn't make sense, does it? No, because when you truly understand, you know, again, I haven't seen that a lot here. It's here, don't get me wrong. But most understand what, who Christ is and what he did for them, right? And then a judgmental attitude on others, it's just, it's just not appropriate. It's excluded, as it says, right? You just can't be there because you know who you are without him. It's an incredible thing. So by what kind of law? law? Is it the law of works? No, it's the law of faith. Therefore, that's what's working inside of us. For if we hold, this is interesting, that one is justified, that is made right, that which was wrong made right by faith apart from works of the law. So anytime anybody tells you, yeah, well, you have to have, this is a great verse. This is, a, this is an altering verse. This is a verse that, that you can just fly by reading it, but I'm here to tell you, it is one of those all-powerful type verses that really corrects a whole lot of ills because the majority of so many says, well, yeah, you need, you need Christ and you need what he did at the cross, but you also, and they start listing a whole lot of things and everybody argues over what this other list ought to include. But it says here we hold that one is justified by grace through faith apart from works, good works. So our salvation has never and will never be because we've done anything to receive it. It's a free gift, right? Guys, there are whole groups of people. 
well, yeah, but, you know, what Christ, yeah, but, and they'll start telling, but you, you, you need to, you know, you need to go to confession, you know, you need to, you need to, you need to, you need to come up with this, and you need to spend this, and you need to start acting this certain way, and you need to start, you know, you need to be baptized, you need to be, and there's this whole other list, but I want you to know, that is not in the scriptures. Interesting, huh? What happens is down through the ages is that traditions that people do in churches start becoming truth. And people just think they're the truth because we've always done it that way. I tell you, when, it, when my eyes were open, I began to see the truth as opposed to some of the ways I was taught. At first, I've, I immediately defended the way I was taught, right? Well, I didn't grow up that way. I don't care how you grew up, right? The question is, is it, is it the truth or is it not the truth? And so then I started, as I began reading through the scriptures and saying, Lord, I want to know what this means. You know, it's like swinging a bat. I read it so many times that I didn't understand, but I was going to keep reading until I did. And when I started to get that, I was like, I was like, here's what I was taught. But then here's what the Bible says. And so, as you know, if you've been around here very long, my passion in life is to explain it to in a way that you can understand. Not what I think, but what it says. Because then that has the power of being like, wow. Because any time you add anything to the gospel, God's grace, you steal the power from it. Remember what we talked about in verse 16? All right. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, when you add anything to it, you steal the power of the gospel from it. And it becomes just a set of things that you're trying to do to look good or to act good or whatever. But guys, this is the issue. I can't tell you how many times I have asked people, hey, listen, are, are you a believer or whatever? And, and you know, you always ask the question, hey, what do you think, what do you think makes a person right with God? Or if you want to do one of the EE questions of old that says, hey, listen, if you were to die today and stand before God and he was to ask you, why should I let you in to heaven? What would you say? Guys, I'm here to tell you, the greater majority of anyone I talk to, even the ones who call themselves Christians, they start listing things. Things that, you know, why should I let you in heaven? They'll start saying, well, you know, I've, been, I've tried to be a good person. You know, I've treated people fairly. Uh, I loved my wife or I loved my husband. I was loyal to my family. I worked hard. I... And they start listing all the list, right? Which shows that they're trusting on being right with God by works, right? When the Bible says the exact opposite, is that not remarkable to you? Therefore, the greater majority of the people in our culture, what they know about the gospel is not even the gospel. What they know about Jesus is not even what Jesus came to do. I find that amazing. How is it that you can miss it so bad? Because we as humans, we love to perform and we love to compare, all right? Comparison is a salesman's greatest friend. You think about that, write it down, think about it later. What is comparison? Well, comparison is looking around and saying that, well, you know, I'm better than most. 
So God will make an exception for me. It's not in the scriptures, guys. So the question comes down to truth, right? Is it what we've made it to be or is it what the scripture says that it is? It's an amazing thing. When you begin to put it all together, it's like, wow, that is what that says. That is what that says. So the great question, and, and, but the great truth is, is that it's a free gift. So if you truly understand who God is and you truly understand who you are and that you are a sinner, as we just said, because all of us are, and if you truly understand that there's only one way to be made right with God, and that's what Christ did at the cross. And when you understand what Christ did do at the cross, first of all, who he was to be able to do what he did at the cross. When you begin to see those things, you begin, it dawns on you like, wow. And when you put your faith and trust there, thankfulness is, and gratefulness is the way of life for a true believer. Does that make sense to you? That's just the who you'll be. You'll live gratefully. All right. Anyway, so he goes on to say, we've, we've, got to, we've got to get done. Or is he the God of the Jews only? So you see what he's talking about here. Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, he's the God of the Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Now, a lot of times people look at that and they go, what is he talking about? You know, if you don't, if you don't know what circumcision is, okay, look it up later. All right. We're not going into that now. All right. Now, <laughs> But what he's talking about, obviously circumcision, we'll find out in a minute, is a sign that God gave to the Jews, right? Now, look what it says. Since God is one, he's going to justify. That is, he's going to make a person right with him, right? And listen to this. Those either who are circumcised, that is Jewish people, or those who are uncircumcised, which is those who are not. So it's the same gospel for, gospel for both. But see, there was a distinction at the time. See, the Jewish people were saying, hey, listen, guys, you've got to become Jewish before you can become a believer in Christ. Paul's blowing all that out of the water, right? He's saying the gospel independent of itself. All right, I've got to move on. It says, so then do we overthrow the law by faith? Absolutely not. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we uphold it, all right? So here's the example. So now after I've explained all that to you, this example that Paul uses we're going to be able to click through it pretty quick. But he used an example. Why does he use Abraham? Because Abraham, he is the most admired person in Jewish culture. Right? All you have to do is read the Gospels when Jesus, you know, would say something to somebody and, you know, some of these religious people said, well, we are descendants of Abraham. Right? That's what they would always say. We are descendants of Abraham. We are descendants of Abraham. So Paul decides to to drive home what he's telling them, right? By using Abraham as an illustration. Abraham's number one. Number two is Moses. And then number three is David. I mean, those are the top three uh, that our Jewish friends at this particular time admired. So he goes straight to the top and he uses Abraham. In first, number one, he talks about Abraham, how Abraham became a believer. In other words, Abraham's salvation. And he uses this in chapter four, verse one. And it's gonna go quickly, so, so hang with me here, but everything we've just talked about, let's put it all together and understand it, what he's talking about. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham, this is interesting, for if Abraham was justified, that is made right, that which wasn't right was made right by works, he would have something to boast about. And he goes on to say, but not before God. 
What's he saying here? He's saying that Abraham was a sinner, just like the rest of us, right? For what does the scripture say? Now here's what it says about Abraham. It says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It's one of the most important verses in all the Bible. It's found in Genesis chapter 15, verse seven, I believe. And what did he believe? Well, he, God gave him his word, God's word, right? The first few chapters of Genesis chapter 15, he takes Abraham out and says, hey, Abraham, look at, this, look, at this, look at the sky. If you can count the number of stars, that's how many offspring you're going to have. It was interesting, he never had kids until the very end. It's interesting, but anyway. But, and so God made a whole series of promises. I'll bless the whole, you know, the world through your descendants, stuff like that. And, and, then, and then it says that he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now question, how did Abraham then get righteousness into his life? Or how did he become right with God? It says right there. Can you go back? Verse three, I believe. Come on. Come on. Waste of time. All right, never mind. All right. So it goes on to say, it goes on to say that obviously he says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him or counted to him as righteousness. So how did righteousness get into his life? Well, it says it right there. What does it say? He believes. So Abraham, all right, salvation came by faith, not by his good works. So he uses Abraham as his illustration. And you know, it's like one of those guys, because remember, Jewish people know all these verses. They had, they memorized all of them. And when they look down and they see, wow, that is what that says, right? Now, amazing. Take a look at the next verse, verse five. It says, and to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Now it's easy for you just to go flying through that verse as you read it, but stop and see what Paul is saying. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying is that your salvation is, is, is obtained in your life the same way it was for Abraham. You believe God and it's credited to you as righteousness, right? Therefore, because of who Christ is and what he came to do, we put our faith in his word, which Jesus is his word, right? John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word was God. Therefore, Jesus is God's word to us. We put our faith and trust in him and it's counted to us as righteousness because now we know we understand the cross was able to forgive us and give us righteousness that Christ took to the cross on our behalf. So it's an incredible thing to think about, right? So this message of gospel of grace comes from as far back as, as Abraham. He believed God. He had faith and it was credited. It wasn't his own. He didn't get, he didn't get righteousness into his life because he worked for it. He got righteousness into his life because he trusted God. That's the whole, that's the whole thing Paul's trying to tell, right? And he goes on to throw David in there too. That's number three, by the way, right? Just as David also speaks the blessing to whom, uh, uh, to, of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And he gives you a couple quotes. Blessed are those, okay, uh, whose lawless deeds are forgiven, right? Whose sins are covered. It's all the same thing. 
Blessed is the man uh, against whom the Lord will not count his sin. How does that happen? It's not through works. Guys, that's why I have never believed, because I've read through the scripture so many times. It feels right, but it's not what makes you right. I've never believed in penance. Repentance, yes, but not penance. In other words, when people give you things to go out and try to do to undo some of the perhaps bad things you've done or whatever. Why? Because that's not what makes a person right with God, right? Interesting. All right, number two. Number one is salvation. Number two is Abraham's seal. What's a seal? Seal is a, is a sign, is a symbol, okay? All right, chapter uh, four, verse nine. Look at this. Uh, is this blessing uh, then only for the circumcised or is it also for the uncircumcised, all right? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness, all right? How then was it counted to him? Now, you have to remember that there's a huge deal come up. But this, this helps us to understand. So if you're hanging with me here, this really helps you. Because there was a whole group of them, and some of this had to be tackled head on, and Paul's the one that did it. Is that they believed that you had to become Jewish, right? And to become Jewish, you had to be circumcised. That meant that you, that you could not be a believer in Christ. You could not put your faith and trust in Christ unless you were circumcised. And so Paul is using this example of Abraham. It's, it's an incredible thing, guys. The closest thing we have today is baptism. Baptism is a picture. It's a seal. It has nothing to do with whether you're a believer or not. Some people teach that, but it just is not the truth. Why? Because you're not, salvation doesn't come into a person's life because you went into the water. It came into your life because of who Christ is and what he came to do, right? The, the baptism, which we're going to do next week, which you can sign up for afterwards, is a picture. Therefore, those, that's why, you, you know, when you're, when you're baptized as a child or an infant and you, don't, you didn't know what you were doing, it's not your choice. That's not really baptism. Baptism is a picture, is a seal after, right? After you become a believer, and so it's the same here with circumcision. And so, and so what does Paul do? He comes at him with, with logic. And he begins to ask the question, hey, you know, when Abraham received, verse 11, the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness, not righteousness itself, how did righteousness get into his life? By faith. By grace through faith, right? So then, so when, did, when he got this, all right, sign of circumcision was a seal of righteousness, all right, that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So what's he saying? So when did Abraham get righteousness into his life? Was it before or after circumcision came into his life? It was before. So you Jews are going around, what's Paul saying? And you're saying you have to be circumcised, and yet Abraham was a believer before he was. You see where Paul's going there? Again, I know I'm taking some time to go specific here, but you got to get this. Those of you who want to know, okay? Those of you who truly want, yeah, I want to know. I don't want to know what everybody else thinks. I want to see it for myself. What does this mean, all right? This was the purpose so that he could be the father of all who believe. Oh, now, when you think about it, God had promised Abraham he'd be the father of many nations. But physically, was he? Right? Jewish people, definitely. Ishmael, you know, that was kind of the line of the, of the Arabs. But there's a whole lot of other people. Right? 
So what was God talking about the father of many nations? He had something different. So this was purpose. What was the purpose? Purpose was so that he could, he could be the father of all those who believe. So then Abraham was the, he was the, he, we are the descendants of him because he believed God and it was crying for righteousness. Same thing that changes your life. And he, he was before us, right? So that the, basically he says the purpose was making the father of all who believe without being circumcised. In other words, his salvation came before circumcision so that all who would come after, all right? That was a big fight in the book of Acts about this by circumcision. I can't tell you, it's not, it's not anything anymore. I just wanted to see you, for you to see it at the time of how much this mattered and why he had to write so much about it. All right? So that the righteous would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely, uh, the uncircumcised who are not just merely circumcised, right? But also to walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before his circumcision. So again, you have this seal. Number three is the offspring. So then who are descendants of Abraham? Because the promise, look at verse 13, it says, for the promise of Abraham and his offspring, all right, is that he would be the heir of the world. It did not come through the law, but it came through the righteousness of faith. Now, what does all that mean? Joe, help me. All right, here we go. So then Abraham The righteousness that came into his life was not because he followed the rules. It was because he believed God. So then he becomes the father of all those who came after him, who put their faith and trust in God's word. Eventually that became the gospel or who Christ is, what he came to do. So when you put all of this together, right, he he became the first one, the first look here, if you will, of something God was doing that was different. All right, didn't come through the law, but came in the righteousness that came by faith, right? For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and void. Basically, that means if salvation can be gained by living a good life, then Jesus died for nothing. That's basically what that means. For the law brings wrath. You know, wrath, another word for wrath, uh, wrath freaks people out. Another word for wrath is punishment, right? The law and wrath are law and punishment, obviously. The law is what it is. If you break it, then you're going to pay the punishment according to, to, to it being broken, right? But where there's no law, there's not a transgression. That's why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also, interesting, to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. Listen to this. Who is the father of us all? Oh, now if you haven't heard anything up to this point, just in this last little bit, this is what he's trying to say. He's trying to tell his Jewish friends and all of us, hey, listen, guys, those, not just the physical descendants of Abraham, but those of us who are believers are his descendants, right? Through faith. Why? Because we, and eventually it was all going to change. Why? Because when we become believers, we become God's children. Therefore, we are closer related than we are with our blood relatives as believers. And so the father of many nations, the promises that were made to Abraham, if you know about any of those things, it is staggering in, 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 its, in its understanding to see where it all comes together. It's one of those moments where you go, wow. 
that is what that means. All right? I made you the father of many nations. Now, was Abraham the father of many nations? Not physically. But I just look around the room. I see as many different type of people as you can imagine from all different places. Of course, we're all Americans, but we all came from, you know. I, my descendants tell me I'm Irish, but I see some of you that come from pretty much every continent. You know, here in Florida, that's just who we are, right? We come from just, you know, only about 10% of you are from here, right? 90% of us moved in here from somewhere else. So we come from all different places, all different cultures. And yet, Abraham is the father of many nations, which makes sense. It's not about his physical descendants. It's about who Christ is and what he was going to do and the difference it was going to make in people's lives. It is astounding to think about, right? I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence and things that do not exist. All right, I've got to close. But here's how we're going to finish is works, all right? Well, where do works fit in, Jeff, right? If you say it has nothing to do with living right, if you tell people that, won't they just say, oh, well, perfect. I'll put my faith and trust in Christ and then live any way I want to. I want you to understand that anyone who ever does that won't do that. Or if you do, I mean, you're in trouble anyway, well, because you have a father now who's not gonna let you live that way. Does that make sense? I'm not, I mean, I take responsible for my kids' life and I was as tough as you can imagine on them uh, because it was a responsibility I had. And I'm a sinful guy. Imagine who God is. If you truly are a believer today and you have the attitude, I'm gonna live like I want to, I mean, you're headed to the woodshed. You do know that, right? <laughs> and that God will not let you live that way if you're his. If nothing ever happens then you're probably not his, you're just fooling yourself, right? But where do works fit in, Jeff? Well, it says here, all right? I'm just gonna read just a few verses, and then I'll be done. In hope, he believed against hope that, we should become the that he should become the father of many nations. As he has been told, so say your offspring be. Now we find out what that word offspring from the Old Testament means. He did not weaken in faith, right? When he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. He was 100 years old, right? Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, right? No distress made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God, all right, was able to do what he promised. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. He trusted God. But the words it was counted to him, were not in, written for his sake alone. Look, look, but for you, it's for you, right? But for us also, ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in him and raised from the dead, right? Who was delivered uh, up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So this whole thing about the gospel, who Christ is and what he came to do, and what he came to do lived, all right? gave his life on behalf of us and was resurrected. All of, those is, all of those things are part of the gospel, but it's what he did on our behalf. Now, as we put all this together, is, is again, I'm trying my hardest in the book of Romans to not 
use other verses. Let's just see what it says. But there's another writing of Paul's that in just three verses sums up pretty much everything we've said. But it's a great way for you to remember it. It's found in Ephesians chapter 2. And look at this. We, we quote, I quote this all the time. Look at, listen to this. It says, for by grace you have been saved. That is, you've been made right with God. Through faith. And this is not of your own doing. That is, you had nothing to do with it. Right? It's a gift of God. Not the result of works. So that no one can boast. Right? Now, by grace through faith. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship. That is, after you become a believer, you become his. And he gets to work in your life from the inside out. It's an amazing thing. Created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. So, three things to remember. By grace, through faith, unto good works. Therefore, good works are in your life as a result of your own salvation, not in order to be right with God. There, you're already right with God, but a person who is right with him, who's been made right, has a tendency to have those in their life. So really just three words. Uh, by grace, through faith, uh, unto good works. So by, through, unto is all you have to remember, and it'll keep, it'll keep it real clear for you. I take this much time, I'm done. I take this much time for a reason. Because I'm convinced with the number of people that I talk to is that most people really don't understand. Some just don't care, right? But I found the cool part about Florida or being in here, most of you are in here, you care or you wouldn't come, right? It's not like it was where I grew up. I mean, there was cultural pressure to go to church. There's no cultural pressure here in Florida unless you're, unless you're a kid and you're drugged by your parents. That's about the only one, right? But most of you are here because you want to know. You, you, you're here because I want to be here. And so what I'm trying to share with you and my passion in life, because I think I went to church for so long and never got this. All I ever got was the rules. All I ever got was, you know, and for us, it was a very strict, almost oppressive rules. And it got down to the clothes you wore and the type haircut you had. And I mean, it got crazy. And that's what made you right with God. I have a passion for this because there's freedom in the gospel if you ever truly hear it and understand it. Freedom in here is what you're looking for. This is what the entire book of Romans is about. And I'm looking forward to share with you week to week as we continue to, to build on it. If you would need to know what it means to be a believer, guys, it's not about joining a church. It's not about denominations. By the way, most denominations get it wrong, right? Jeff, you're being awful proud there. I'm not. I just look at the scriptures and then I hear what they say. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to do that. But the problem is, is that whenever political correctness gets into how we believe, that's what happens. Anyway, it's not going that way. Not now, all right? But if there's never been a time, there'd be some people up here afterwards that would love to talk with you. Pastors. Uh, some others that know about what the gospel is, they'd love to pray with you, all right? Love to talk to you about it. Don't let that freak you out. I'm not trying, there's nothing to that. I've just always had that feeling 
that there's someone here that says, man, I wanted to talk to somebody, I just couldn't find anybody. Okay, they're here if you wanna to talk to somebody, okay? All right, if you're a believer here today, I want you to leave with gratefulness oozing out of your pores if you truly understand how much God loved you to do what he did. Remember we talked about that last week. God's greatest problem was is that he loved you. If he didn't love you, he'd just wipe you all out and start it over, right? But he did what he did and love is the only motivation. That's, that's what makes good news good news.